blended families. And so we're going to come at this from two different angles, blended families because of death and then blended families from divorce. Now, I am going to go out on a ledge here and say that it's more complicated with divorce. I think you're right. As I was thinking about this, I think the biggest difference is that in divorce, you have the ex that you have to deal with. And boy, I can tell you, I have seen a lot of serious problems because of that. And so if you're blending families because of death, you don't have that typically. And I think... You know, the one of the problems, say, with death well, and divorce is if you move into one or the other existing homes, mm-hmm. and often the spouse who's moving in feels left out because it's not their home and it's a home that they shared with the other person. Either it's a home they shared with the ex-spouse or it's a home they shared with the deceased spouse. And that can be a problem. But I think those are probably the biggest differences is you don't have to deal with the ex-spouse, which can be very problematic. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've heard the oh. stories. And, and yeah. you've said this before. Who you marry is one of the oh. most important choices you make. Yes, and, it is. Choose uh, wisely. <laughs> yeah. And again, when it really will matter is when you have kids, because if there's no kids, then it's easy to detach or it's yeah. easier. Right. Yeah. But if when there's kids involved, and I think that's what a lot of couples who are a lot of blended families, that's the mistake they make. Or when there's only one person who's got kids from a previous marriage is I think it's sometimes hard for the partner to accept. They are a package deal. That's right. So, you know, that husband and his kids or that mother and her kids, they are a package deal. You cannot separate them. Even if they're not living with you all of the time, they come together and you cannot make them choose. At least I hope you wouldn't ever make them choose. And the other thing you have to add into that is the ex-spouse is also a part of That's this right. package deal because, right. you know, go away. <laughs> they don't. As the mother or father of that of their children, they are forever in their lives unless there are legal reasons or you know, for some reason, someone lost custody, but that doesn't happen that often. Yeah. Yeah. The majority of the time there's an ex-spouse, a part of your spouse's life. And so I think that's oftentimes the biggest source of frustration is you're trying to blend almost three mini cultures. I mean, think of how hard it is. Think of how hard it was just to blend the two. Now you're blending three and there's kids involved and it's, it's complicated. It's really, really complicated. So over the years, I've treated quite a few couples with this issue. Here's the thing that is shocking to me. Well, and I I want to admit, I'm seeing the couples that are having difficulty. Right. But when they come into my office, they haven't talked about it before. So they knew they were getting married, they were dating, they knew they, you know, either the, the, the kids existed either for both one or for both of them. And they never talked about what is this going to look like when we get married and we move in. And I I try and contain my shock that's yeah. for a therapist. What? Yeah. We haven't talked about this. But so I'm I'm giving the takeaway for our listeners right up front. If you're in the situation and you haven't moved in yet, you've got to talk about it. You've got to anticipate what those issues are going going to be. And then how you as a couple, a parenting team, are going to approach these issues. Mm-hmm. And you plan and you follow through. And it doesn't mean you can't readjust if necessary. 
but you both have had these children for a time and you know the, your own kids well and you know what issues they're going to bring and yeah. all kids and you know all families all issues the many cultures you're going to bring those into the new culture the new marriage mini culture and so you've got to start talking about it all the things that we've talked about in past episodes like what do you do around holidays things mm-hmm. like how do you celebrate birthdays what do vacations look like i mean we could go on and on about it money how do you you know money for each of the different kids you know how do you yeah. treat them equally and fairly you know what does that look like for each of you so you have to anticipate the problems one of the things that comes up occasionally is if it's a divorce well actually and even with death there would be existing grandparents somewhere yes Yes. And so you have to figure out, okay, what does that look like? Now, if it's a divorce, I think it's slightly easier because it should be the child of the grandparents, the the spouse of the grandparents. It's it's hard to keep everyone straight here. Yeah. Yeah. That that ought to be in charge of what that looks like. Mm -hmm. But what can happen, I've seen this happen, is often there's a disparity in, say, the money that each extended family has. And so one grandparent may be taking part of the kids, their kid, their grandkids on these great vacations. And then, Mm. you know, the other kids are going to feel left out. I don't know how you handle that. Really, I don't. Because I don't, I don't think I would expect the grandparents to take someone else's grandchildren on the trip. But it can really be an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the kids feeling left out and like they aren't treated fairly. And, the, you know, the kids aren't going to understand it. And it's going to be up to the parents to figure out a way to explain that. Mm-hmm. So those are a few of the problems, but talk about it. Talk yeah. about it before you move in. Talk about it before you get married. And I would imagine that the reason why the couples are in your office is because they didn't. They haven't I mean, talked about it, yeah. Yeah, I, because... I mean, there are certainly families out there who are successful at blending families. You know, mm-hmm. two people get yes. divorced and they figure out a good way to co-parent and, you know, everybody moves on. But I've certainly seen it where it doesn't work out so well, where it's really hard. And I think one of the things that you need to definitely do is, at least in this new relationship, is you need to talk about the boundaries with the ex, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because, and, and that can be hard, especially if like, so let's say a woman marries a man who's divorced and has kids. Mm-hmm. It's so easy for her to feel jealous because he's regularly in contact with his ex-wife. You have to talk about that and about how you feel about that and what the boundaries are and what that's going to look like, because you cannot avoid it if they have kids and you have to just air it all out in the open. That's right. And you have to anticipate what the issues might be now that there's a reason that that couple got divorced. Mm-hmm. And so you, let's say the husband in this case, uh, the scenario that you gave, mm-hmm. knows what the potential issues are going to be and you have to throw them out there. Yeah. What I have seen is, and this goes with either husbands or wives in new blended marriage situations, is that they expect their new spouse to be able to control the old spouse in some Mm-mm. way, the ex-spouse. No. And I've seen that and they're mad. They get angry because you can't control the ex-spouse. Nope. And it's often a problem, for instance, if there are different expectations and consequences in, in the different homes. Yeah. So the child's moving between one home and the other 
And it ideally, you know, the parents would be on the same page and they'd have the same expectations and consequences. But sadly, I haven't seen that be the case often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can't control the other parent. And so as the new spouse, let's call it, you can't expect your husband or wife to control the other ex-spouse. It's just not yep. going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I have seen that be an issue, a contentious issue in a lot of these relationships because they want the ex-spouse to be doing something different. Okay, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Hi there, my name is Maya Acosta, and I'm the host of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast, where I explore ways that we can optimize our health. I learned about the field of lifestyle medicine, which uses evidence-based approaches to prevent, halt, and in even some cases, reverse disease. These are lifestyle modalities, such as using certain foods as medicine, using exercise to reverse disease, managing our stress, and even getting adequate sleep. Join me and the amazing people that I get to talk to as I set out to learn how taking better care of ourselves can help us both improve the quality of life and enhance our longevity. Let's get started. Yeah, and I mean, the reality is you can't, and that's kind of why I started off with it's a package deal. That ex-spouse is a package deal that, I mean, if there are kids involved, that ex-spouse is forever a part of your spouse's lives. Right. Now, I will say that time helps. So I want to give the example of my own family on Curtis's side, and we're all very well blended together. Now, mm-hmm. but keep in mind, Curtis's parents have been divorced for over 30 years. And they've both moved on and they've been in happy relationships. And when the kids were, when Curtis and his siblings were younger, it was really rocky and it was really hard. But now, I mean, everything is really seamless. And the way we look at it is that more people to love our kids, right? So Curtis's dad lives with us and and Curtis's stepdad and mom live in the same state. And so we regularly all get together and everybody gets along really well. And there's no question of who goes where, who belongs where. And like, you know, what do we call this grandpa? And what do we call that grandpa? They're they're both grandpas and everybody understands the place they have in our children's lives because everybody is welcome in our children's lives. You know, Mike, Curtis's stepdad, is very understanding of the fact that Bill, Curtis's dad, will always have a place in Connie's life because of the kids. He's very respectful of that. And so he's welcoming of Bill, right? And he's very accepting of him. And Bill, in return, accepts the fact that Mike is a part of the family, has a just as much of a place in the lives of the grandkids as Bill does. And mm-hmm. so try to look at it from that aspect. And again, this takes time. Right. I mean, they're they're old. They're all older. And so, you know, they've been able to let bygones be bygones. But look at it from the perspective of it's more people to love kids. And you right. just can't but, beat that. I, mean, I would guess it would have been much more difficult to do that 30 years ago, right after the divorce, because it was there are mm-hmm. a lot of hurt feelings and, and anger. But you're right. If you can do that, then it's much better for the children. I think it's much better for the adults as well. Yeah. I think one of the hardest issues that couples need to figure out in blended families is discipline. And what goes along with discipline 
is how you take on the parenting role. So for instance, the father, does he become a father figure? What do they call the new step? Let's call it stepdad or stepmom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have to be aware that there is another father, a bio father or a bio mother that's mm-hmm. in the picture. And I think one of the difficulties in the stepchild, stepparent relationship is that for many children of divorce, that dream, the unconscious dream, or maybe even the conscious dream is that their parents would someday get back together. Yeah. And so they're very reluctant to accept the step-parent into their lives, thinking mm-hmm. that if they do, then that closes the door. Well, right. you know, in effect, that door is already closed and those parents aren't going to get back together. But still, the you know, the child is going to want that more than anything. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of the resistance. Like if you have a, the, the hardest relationship out of all these different relationships is uh, stepdaughter and stepmother. Yep. Tends to be really tough. And I think it has to do with that idea that the the daughter typically does not want someone else taking the role of mother. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in within that parenting role that you have, I think it's better to be a team, even in yep. the blended family. I don't see how you do it any other way. I think right. it gets really messy if you don't and confusing for the kids. But the parents in the blended family have to be on the same page as to what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And then I think they go to the kids and say, this is what we're doing. Yeah. So you can't just assume that the kids are going to know, okay, the new parent, you know, this new combo of parents is going to act as a team. I think you go and say, this is what this looks like and acknowledge it's going to be rough for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's okay. And it does, as you said, it takes time to form those relationships. And so you can't expect that, stepchild stepparent relationship is going to be uh, wonderful from day one. I mean, sometimes it is, but most often it's not. I think it takes a very long time. And and so it's clear that, you know, say the stepdad does not replace the bio dad ever. Yes. But does he act as a father while the child's in the home? Mm-hmm. I think you have to have that. I think the age of the child is also going to come into play as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I think a stepdad of a, say, five or six-year-old is going to look very, very different than a stepdad of, say, a 15 or 16-year-old, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so I think that's also something to take right. into account. And then I want to emphasize something you said at the beginning, and that's being a team. Because, yeah. I mean, step families are already hard enough. And the last thing you want is for the kids to pick up on division between their bio parent and the step parent. Right. Right. And that happens. And it happens both again, I'm seeing the couples who are struggling, but they're the ones who didn't start out the marriage as being a team and they didn't talk about it. And it's hard to then it's hard to get them to change that. Yeah. Realize yeah. that they can change it. But that's why I think if you do it before and really have a plan, you've got to have a plan when you're mm-hmm. doing this and then come together and talk to the children about it. I think it goes more smoothly. It's always going to be bumpy. I yes. think that's the other aspect. Not always. It's often going to be bumpy. Yeah. And to expect that and that takes time. I think one of the best ways to have relationships or to, to strengthen that relationship between stepchild and stepparent is common activities, fun activities. Mm-hmm. I think you need to, don't want to always be in that role of disciplinarian. Yeah. Like if that's the only way they see you, then I think that's problematic. I mean, you've got to have that role, sure. but it can't be your only role. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and that I would agree with. And, you know, I mean, I think also in, with an older kid, you know, in terms of maybe preteen and into the teenage years, don't push it too much. Right. You know, I think that's yeah. going to be really crucial is, and especially don't try to push a friendship on them. Right. right. I mean, let, let the child come to you and be a friend. Right. I mean, obviously you, you, hopefully you have your expectations and your boundaries laid out already, but in terms of, you know, if they're struggling or if they're having a problem, don't just start trying to offer advice, you know, let them come to you, right? Don't try to force, I think, because if you try to force a relationship on a child, regardless of your intentions, they're probably going to immediately think you're not my real parent, right? Don't try to replace my parent. And that may not be your intention, but a child doesn't understand that. They have a harder time. It's going to feel that way to the kid. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of your intentions. So let's switch gears and talk about the death of a spouse and the emotional baggage that that is going to bring. I mean, I putting myself in the shoes of, of this person, you know, I think of the idea of losing Curtis. I mean, not only is that devastating for me, but with my kids being so young, Curtis and I have talked about this. We both agree that we'd like the other to remarry. Mm-hmm. And that would be incredibly difficult, but you know, you have to understand that your new spouse who's already lost a spouse, you cannot cut that spouse out. That deceased spouse still has a place in their life. Does am I making sense here? Yeah, I think you're right. But I think emotionally it's really important for the person who whose spouse did die is that they become emotionally ready. And, yes. I do, and, and I realize I'm a therapist and I don't often recommend therapy in a lot of cases, but I think this is a case where you really need to be doing some work in order to get yourself ready so that you can then emotionally be able to go into a new marriage, because I think that would be really tough. I think it's a mistake to do it too quickly. Yes. But, you know, everyone gets re- is ready for that in a different timing, but still, I think emotionally it's really important that you're ready to, and you, it's not like you forget about the deceased spouse, but you are taking them and you're putting them somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You have to do that. And you know, that you might take, you might, you know, have them come out every so often, but you, you know, like, especially if you have children, help them remember the deceased parent, but really the allegiance has to be clearly focused on the new spouse. Yes, And that can be hard if you're still too emotionally attached to the deceased spouse. Yeah. So that's why I think doing some therapeutic work with someone who's really good with grief and being able to move on is important. Right. And, you know, there's no single timeline. Like you can't, nobody can give you a timeline. Everybody's timeline for being emotionally ready is going to look different. But, you know, I, I mean, I like what you said that, you have to be in that emotional space. Mm-hmm. And so the worst thing you can do is is try to rush that and try to push it. So, you know, I think you're right. Caution is, is definitely warranted. And, you know, maybe if you are feeling like you're ready and you're still in therapy, bring your fiance yeah. to a therapy, say, Hey, I'd, I'd like you to, to come and And I want to talk about this with you. And I want to see, you know, get your therapist take or or whatever. So that's something to consider. So it all goes back to that preparation and talking about it. it. 
before yeah. before you jump into it. And as we've talked about before in previous episodes, you know, when you fall in love, there are all these things that happen, you know, physiologically and emotionally, and you want to really attach to the new person. But I think you have to be extra careful in the case of either a death or a divorce. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other things that is a, could be a little bit tricky are, say, the grandparents or the parents of the deceased person. Yes. See, so it's different. I think that's one of the differences. Like if you're divorced, then the parents of that divorced person is, are still around and it's up to them to involve them. Yes. What happens in the case when, you know, the parent, the grandparents of the deceased person are still around? Mm-hmm. How do you involve them in their grandparents' yeah. lives? Which would, it would be important for them to maintain, for the children and well, and the grandparents to maintain that connection. And mm-hmm. so that's another one of those things that you have to talk about. What does this look like? And yeah. if there are children from both sides of that family, what does that look like too? Because yeah. then it goes, it gets into, is this unfair? Like if, you know, so if the grandparents of the deceased parent take their own grandchildren and do something with them, do the other grandchildren f- feel left out? Again, I don't know that I have an answer for that. I think it's really tough. Mm-hmm. and complicated and there's a lot of emotion involved emotion involved in that so talk about it before what is this going to look like yeah what are the I mean, expectations well and i think you kind of hit the nail on the head there where you know can you really expect grandparents to go out and and do a bunch of stuff with somebody else's grandkids i mean hopefully they would to a point they could yeah and yeah. i'm not saying they wouldn't or yeah. that they shouldn't but you know, from my experience, again, with couples who are struggling, those grandparents aren't doing that. Yeah. Ideally, they would, though. I agree mm-hmm. with you on that. That, you know, that somehow they would see that they would be able to see that this is a new family unit. Yeah. And so even though these these other grandchildren, own, they're part of this family unit. Yeah. Yeah. And so hopefully the grandparents actually on both sides would see that, you know, whether it's divorce or death of a spouse. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think that that's probably the better way to approach it. If in an ideal situation is that the grandparents see the new family as a unit and mm-hmm. treat them that way. That's what my grandparents have done. And my grandparents have been married for probably been close to 55, maybe even 56 years now. They had nine kids. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> you know, there's been marriages. In there, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Divorces and remarriages. And you know, my grandma has never looked at a new grandchild. It's, it's She doesn't have step-grandchildren. She just has more grandchildren. Yeah. And so, I mean, I would hope that that's how all grandparents could do it. I, Liz, I would hope that. I know. I know. Okay. Oh, I know. I know. So. And so, and I don't know how much influence the new parents who are forming this new family would have on the grandparents to say, Here's what we would like to happen. Yeah. But again, you know, if there's, especially in the case of a divorce, if there's some anger mm-hmm. from the grandparents about the divorce, then they're less likely to include the children of the uh, new spouse. And so it's really problematic. And here's the hard, the sad thing. It's always the kids who are most affected by this. All around in but every that, instance. You know, that's the case with divorce. Yeah. As you said, if you didn't have kids, then it'd be easy to disconnect and 
move on. But having the kids, I mean, there's always this connection with the parents, with the grandparents, and you want it to be fair. So that's one thing I haven't mentioned, the word fair. And I think parents want their children to be treated fairly in this blended setting. And that's really hard to do. Really yeah. tough. Christmas, birthdays, and mm-hmm. all those things where you're spending money on somebody else's grandchildren, that can be hard for people. Yeah. It can be. Well, and so going back to it's hardest on the kids, I mean, you've got to think of that. If you're marrying into a family who already has kids, you have to think about the kids' emotions and how hard and difficult that was. And if there are young kids, they often, and maybe you mentioned this before, they will often blame themselves for a divorce. It's very, very common for kids to take on the responsibility of a marriage breaking up, their parents breaking up. If I could have been better, my parents wouldn't. If I could have been a better kid, then my parents wouldn't have gotten a, a divorce. It's that magical thinking that uh, many kids have, or they. And I think most kids go through that phase that yeah. they, you know, that magical thinking of I could have done something that would have saved this marriage, and my parents would still be together. Yeah, or it's my fault that my mom or my dad died. And yeah. Even yeah. if they're comp- even if there's no way they could possibly connect it, uh, they'll still find a way. You know, mm-hmm. somehow it's it's just what kids do and maybe it's a coping mechanism. But I mean, you know, as a step parent going in, you really have to consider that and be mindful of these really hard emotions. And, you know, maybe in either case of death or divorce, you know, maybe the child is finally in a good place about it and they've started to maybe move on and accept this. Well, once this new step parent moves in, all those emotions are going to come flooding back. And so I think that's why, say, I think I read about this, that I think it's like the first year or two that's really rocky. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the hardest time is that first one to two years because everybody's trying to establish themselves in this new unit. And that comes mm-hmm. with a lot of complexities. You know, also keep in mind that you may have maybe a few months where things start to go well. Don't let your guard down because, you know. Right. But I think one of the issues, so we haven't really talked about how do these different children, you know, so you have these two stepchildren families, how do they get to, you know, blend mm-hmm. with each other? So going back to the word I use, fairness, I think kids are very keyed in to fairness and oh, yeah. fairly. And so as parents, if you want to eliminate contention and strife within the new blended family, I think you have to do a really good job of being fair and treating all the kids equally so you don't treat them differently. And then, you know, if as they leave the home to go to the other parents and those expectations are different, you have to talk about it. And, And you you know, you have to be able to say, but when they're in this home, Mm -hmm. this is what we do. And you want to treat them equally. They've got to be treated equally. Otherwise, there's going to be contention. And I think another thing that is going to be important to acknowledge is that there is going to be some amount of unfairness to some extent. Because, I mean, life isn't fair. And so as a parent, you're of this or as parents of this blended family, you're going to do everything you can to try to treat these children equally but they're going to go into another home and things are going to be different. And there's going to be unfairness in that instance. I mean, it's right. almost inevitable. And so I think it's important to acknowledge that and to validate your kids and say to them, 
yeah, you're right. That's unfair that it goes that way at this house. That isn't fair. And I wish that I could make it fair, but we can't. And so, like you said, in this house, this is the way we do things. And so don't just pretend that, don't try to pretend that things aren't unfair if they really are. Right. I agree with that. I think it's best to acknowledge it. But then one of the common themes that I see now in blended families is you may not want your children to have phones. And then they go to the other home and that parent decides they want to give them phones. And so that can be an area of contention. I think it's really important that with phones or with any electronics that you have the expectation when you come into this home, then you leave the phone or you give me the phone or you don't have the phone or whatever it is. And so you can't control what goes on in the other home, but you can certainly set the expectations for what happens in your home. And you need to address it directly. Mm -hmm. And so I think one other thing that I think is important to cover, and that's religion. So Mm -hmm. if you have two, so if both families are practicing different religions, I think that you make it very clear that early on that like the, the child doesn't have to choose. That's not fair to the child. Well, you have to talk about it. I yes. think every case is going to be different because I've seen a case where one one spouse isn't going to care that much. Yeah. And so, which is fine. And then other cases where the spouse or the other spouse cares very, very much mm-hmm. about it. And, but again, you know this before you get married. Yeah. yeah. And so talk about it and decide what you're going to do. And if you can't come up with a solution, then you really ought to rethink the marriage. Yeah. Because it will be an issue. Yep. Guaranteed yeah. it will be an issue and you can think, oh, we'll get through it. Do not think that. Do go go into it knowing what your expectations, what the plan is. And I think that can be very different, you know, for every couple. But again, it's talking about it and coming up with a decision before you do it. Yeah. And in Utah, I would imagine that oftentimes, you know, you've got kids who are, they've got basically four parents, right? now in a divorce situation and they're both living the same religion i would imagine that that's maybe a well little that's more easier yeah I'm yeah not, that's that's not as difficult I, but again i don't see those families where it's working i see the families where it's not working and yeah. where there is contention about whether they go to church or not mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and i mean because religion is really important to a lot of people and it is mm-hmm. a big deal right yeah. i mean because you know religion is not to some people or to a lot of people, I mean, if religion is insignificant, then you're going to be okay. But if religion is a significant part of your life, then, you know, you have to either be okay with it, with, you know, this child that you may even love and consider you may love like one of your own. You have to be okay with the fact that they may not be a part of your religion. You have to be okay with that. You have to be respectful of that. Right. And that's why, you know, to me, that's behavior. And I've said many times, it's never about love. So it's not that the parent, the adults don't love each other. It's that the behavior gets in the way. And that's Mm -hmm. what you have to talk about before and decide what is that going to look like? And so you're right. Religion is a big deal for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To solve that before. And so I think when I said what we were talking about, the death of a spouse, and you have to be emotionally ready to enter into another marriage. I think the same is true with divorce. And often, you know, you you fall in love and you want to be with this person, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're emotionally ready. 
yep. to go into another relationship. And again, I think talking to someone, a therapist can be helpful. Doing couples work can be very helpful. I certainly help couples do that, you know, where they're thinking of coming together and blending a family. And mm -hmm. so it just works so much better if you approach this before you get married. But again, I understand how people do it. They fall in love, they want to be with each other, and they don't think about all these other things. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the starry-eyed Disney-esque yep. birds on your shoulder type thing. Everything's yep. wonderful. And then you get married and that's not. Right. Because you haven't planned well. And I mean, I think a lot of times people think, oh, it's going to be different the second time around. I'm not going to have any of the same issues that I had with my previous spouse. Well, you could. You and take... <laughs> I would tell people you take the same issues with you. Yeah. You don't change. Yeah. And that's, you know, that that's the assumption people make. Oh, it's all my spouse's problem. I have no. never seen that be the case. Yeah. You know, you share equally in the issues in the marriage and whatever issues you had and brought, you will take to the new relationship. It's one of the things I tell couples who are thinking about divorce and, and say, you know, you've got these kids, you have every reason to make this work. Just because you get a divorce doesn't mean all of a sudden the problems go away. Yep. They don't all of a sudden yep. go away. They're still there. Yep. And I think the other thing too, is when you're considering a divorce and you have kids, you have no control over who your ex marries. Right. And which means you have no control over who's going to be around your kids for part of the time. Well, I'd say that. I'd say you have to know you will give up control of your child 50% of the time. Yep. And are you willing to do that? Yeah. Or do you want to stay and try and make this work? And again, I'm not saying everyone should stay in marriages. You know, that's not, mm -hmm. you know, there are times when divorce is appropriate. I'm sure. just saying that if you think it's going to be easy, it's not. Fully a third of all people who get divorced regret it. Really? That's high. Yeah, 30% of couples who get divorced eventually regret it. Mm, yeah. And well, I think that, you know, they sometimes you're too hasty in thinking this is going to solve my problems instead of really buckling down and working on it. Because mm -hmm. oftentimes, you know, yeah, sure, you get remarried 10 years down the road. You're in the exact same boat. You're having the That's exact right. same problems. That's right. Yep. Okay. So next week we are going to talk about the first year again, but we're going to talk about the first year of parenthood. So a while ago we did the topic of postpartum depression. And so we're going to recycle that a little bit, but I also want to talk about how you keep the relationship strong and going in the first year of a child's life. 